There are parallels between the art of filmmaking and the process of entrepreneurship. There's a power to storytelling and how it can ignite the fire within individuals, propelling them to execute the grand vision, as Nelson says, and there's a need to personalise learning and incentivise individuals to grow and prosper. Nelson Sivilangam, CEO and co-founder of How Now, let's hear what he has to say. Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. Check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working. Nelson Sibangam, thank you so much for joining me. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me, Paul. You are CEO and co-founder of How Now, which I'm sure we'll hear all about. You are an author, author of Learning at Speed, by Cobin Page, available in all good bookshops now, hard copy available. (laughs) Filmmaker, documentary, superstar. You've been around for quite a while. You've been doing lots of (laughs) Now, that was far too short and far too high a level of an introduction. What did I miss out now? Paul, you make me sound old, Um, like I've been around for years. I just started young. I just want to clear this for (laughs) anyone listening. Uh, I'm not as old as what Paul makes it out to be. Um, But I guess summed it up well, Paul, but my background is is just been in in tech and films, really. It's been building tech startups over the last kind of 15 years. Um, You know, some have done well, some we've sold. And, and so it's, it's been a journey of different sectors, so um, really different domains, all the way from kind of video advertising to, to film to um, hospitality with a small restaurant group, all the way to now in, in L&D. So it's been a varied entrepreneurial journey. Um, it, it's the best way to summarize it. What's the best thread? I'm, I like to build things. Cool. Uh, I think often uh, when the going gets tough and you constantly kind of ask yourself, why the hell am I doing this? And so I did it once, but why the hell do I go back into it again? And I've learned the reason is because I like building things, right? And, and I think whether it's a product, whether it's a company, it's just getting to build things. Um, it didn't exist and now it does and it wouldn't have existed if I didn't play a part in it. And I think there's, there's something about that uh, that's really addictive. It's one of the definitions of leadership, isn't it? It's taking people to a place that they wouldn't have gotten in their own. You're building yeah, something. and it's, it's the hardest thing too. <laughs> Building something that previously didn't exist and wouldn't have existed without you and your effort. Yeah, and that was kind of the reason why I left my my last proper job um, is is because kind of that. working in a large company, um, I didn't really classic case a big company didn't really feel my impact. I felt like I could be easy replaced. It was a great culture. Fun, I had a lot of fun, but I didn't feel like. I was getting to build things. And so I actually left my last proper job with the intention of joining a really small company. And and it just happened at that time while I was looking for a job, I had an idea for something that I started. And since then, I've not looked back. So I think I would also consider that one of the red threads is not really what you've done, you've done in your own, even whether it's filmmaking or whether it's uh, Sri Lankan street food cooking or whatever. I don't. I, I can imagine you're a superb cook, but were you actually on on the griddle? <laughs> Probably not. Very much with people, right? And yeah. where you've got to now is you are leading an organisation, a company. How now that helps other companies in turn upskill, reskill, and help people learn new stuff. Because yes, you want to go off and you want to hire somebody who can do a job. You want to hire somebody who knows how to be a chef, right? 
But if that's the be all and end all, then, well, how are you going to grow? How are they going to grow? And the way that we all grow these companies, you build things, as you build, at least that's what I think. Am I, am I missing a trip? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I just want to confirm, I wasn't the chef. Um, oh. What I was good at doing was, I, I was good at trying the food, knowing it was good, um, and then taking it to people, right? Um, and a big part of that, like you said, uh, Paul, is, is finding other people um, to fill worlds that can help you get to that end destination. So a, a big part of it is finding the right people and getting people to align to that vision. And this is where, interestingly enough, I find a lot of similarities between making a film and building a business um, because they both start with, especially as a founder, they start with a vision of, of where you want to get to. And and much like how in a film, you don't do every role. Like even in a low-budget film, you might do more than one role, but you've got, you've got actors, you've got maybe someone behind the camera, you've got someone editing, someone doing the music. There's so many different people who are experts in, in their craft, um, and they're coming together to essentially help you execute on your vision, which is exactly what happens in a business, right? You're, you're essentially, you have a, a vision of, of where this business needs to go, and you're bringing in experts who essentially help you execute on that vision and, and get you there. And so I find a lot of parallels when I kind of started growing my first startup, having come out of a film production company, it's like, this is very similar, right? Like the, the way you need to inspire people with that vision and, and motivate them. Um, and keep everyone aligned so it's it's con consistent um, in terms of what you're executing. So definitely, it, it's the most important and the hardest part. Don't get me wrong. There are moments when you're working with people, you think, oh, the next time I start something, it's just going to be me and AI. Uh, yeah, it's so difficult to to you know to figure people out and understand what motivates them and how to get the best out of them because humans are complex. Um, but that's also the most rewarding part. That's what makes this game so exciting and interesting. It, it, you're trying to figure out people. Yeah, yeah, and multiple people. It's three dimensional chess. Yeah, oh, love. So there, 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 there's does seem to be a bit of the the tension. I think if you think of the filmmaking piece. And you think of business, you think of your startup, you've got, you are trying to envision people, you're trying to direct them, lead them towards a bright sunlit upland by telling them a story. But at the same time, and of course, I'm sure you see this in all the different organizations you work with, storytelling is very important. That's great. That's storytelling. And my wife's an engineer. She can't stand storytellers. Now, that's unfortunate because she's married to one. <laughs> Once upon a time. So you've got the storytelling piece, but then... To actually get stuff done, which is hard, is the organization, as you said, the coordination, the, the building and the strengths of the individuals towards the end goal, but executing, getting stuff done. As a, a child, uh, Gavin, Gavin Hess is a CEO of a company called Consent, Consensus, and he's in an episode here. And he says one of the big jobs, the job of any leader is to get stuff done. I said, get stuff done. And there's too many people who tell too many stories. How do you reconcile both in filmmaking and in your business? Storytelling, visioning, yeah, and execution. I, it's, it's a great question. I think it's all about the balance there. Because I do think the story is, is a very, very critical piece, right? I think sometimes people can 
can kind of misunderstand storytelling as, as a kind of fluffy thing uh, to do. But but it's actually, not. I've learned, uh, uh, yeah, I've learned over the years how it's it's in how authentic that story is and and what you tell because what the story helps you do is a it basically where you're going it gives you direction and but what's important about telling a story is to tell each person what their role is in that story all right um it's like they say in films that there are no small parts you know anyone who's who's recently watched Oppenheimer where there are so many A-listers playing roles that come in for five ten minutes well it's because every single part there is contributing to telling that story and moving that story forward and and that's exactly what the case is in business there are no small parts but what is important is for each person for them to not feel like a small part is to understand how does their role their part contribute to moving that story forward like why is it such an important part to that story and often i think that's what people miss is they tell the story at a very high level you know this is the company's story but they miss out the part of telling me what's my role right why is what i'm doing matters and that's really important to get the best out of people because then they know the work they do matters they know it's aligned to telling the biggest story and and to me you know whether it's product whether it's business it's all a story it's a story we tell ourselves it's a story we tell the people we work with it's a story we tell our customers it's a story i tell my investors um, and they each play a role in that story now rightly so once you've told someone this is their role in that story it's how do i get to do that job as well as possible and and this is where what i struggled with in my last proper job was was hierarchy right i always struggled with this idea of authority and management and you do what i'm told and so when i became a first time manager by chance you know i became a first time manager the first time i hired people up until then i had never managed people so the first people i managed were the people i hired into into my startup and so it was learning on the job and and one thing i was very aware of is i didn't want to replicate the the kind of hierarchy and authority and that culture that existed in the larger corporates that i i had worked at and so i was questioning myself of okay what what's the purpose i don't want to be that uh, bring in that hierarchy so what do i have to do in it and over time what i learned is my role there was to to kind of set the bar right i needed to know what good looked like I didn't need to be able to do everyone's job but I needed to know what good looked like and this is where you build taste like I don't have to be a great designer to know what good design looks like um and so I think building that taste the the kind of aptitude for what good looks like is a critical piece to setting that bar that's the first and the second thing for me is I create the conditions for you to jump that bar right um is do you have the tools right uh do you have the skills do you have the knowledge you know what is it that you need are you working in a bright environment you know is it the office is it remote what whatever the conditions are for you to be able to jump the bar and so for me hierarchy doesn't even come into the play here for for you to get the work done right i'm doing a job you're doing a job it's just my job in sales setting the bar and helping you jump the bar and your job in sales doing the job right and and, and jumping the bar and and it's the same way how in sports right a, the coach doesn't have to be a better player and often on uh, you know they're not a better player than the players who are playing on the pitch um and it's not about the hierarchy there they have a role to fulfill player has a role to fulfill let's take the hierarchy out of this we're both here to do a job um and, and i think it's that and one of the kind of ideas that really stuck with me is actually this um word in swahili called ubuntu i don't know if you've if you come across it uh cool um but i found this much much later on where i think it it captured how i felt about building a team and and managing people and 
yeah, there are different meanings, the idea of kind of collectiveness, togetherness. Um, but what I really take from it is I can't do what I do without you doing what you do, right? And that's so true in running a team and building a business, right? It's so interconnected. Um, you can't be a great manager without people in your team doing a great job, right? Period. Uh, and, and so you really need to live uh, the, the kind of principle of Ubuntu of making sure you're doing your bit so they can do their bit. Um, yeah. And, and that was my kind of taking away of how I started to, to manage people. So you got you set the bar, the test, see there's the food coming through there. You give them the tool yeah. to help them jump the bar. How do you make sure it's keeping on going? How do you, what's the third T here? Is there a third T we can find out? Is there a <laughs> Because the one thing that I found most recently was doing some work with a B2C company, uh, which is new for me, actually. It's an app company, wonderful, wonderful bunch of people. And uh, working with a really experienced uh, growth marketeer there, and we were talking about the idea of North Star metric. And I've always said that I, I can't stand with the big company idea of, well, you have internal customers, you know, the, the legal teams, the internal customers, the sales group who is the internal customer. No, 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 no. You get one customer, and they're the guys with the, the girls with the money, yeah. right? You've got the customer yeah. Yeah. at the end of the pen, at the end of the telescope, right down there. People who actually write the organisation a check are your customer, whether you are the, the the person sweeping the floor and cleaning the toilets, or the chief executive, or the legal team, or the finance team, or the sales team, or whatever it is you are. That's it. So that north star metric, that tally, perhaps, right? You're trying to tally if you're measuring something. I'm looking for a T here. Yeah, yeah. Measuring, right? <laughs> so you've got the T yeah, to yeah. set the bar. You've got the tools to jump the bar. The talent, perhaps, that you're acquiring yeah. into the organisation. How do you continue that so that you say, you know, how do we measure them? Yeah, I mean, not a T, I have to think of a T, but wait, wait, wait. It's, it is the accountability. That's, that's what I was going to say. So the, the accountability is the key piece, right? The, the manager's role is once I've set the bar, I've created the condition. Now you have what you need and I need to hold you accountable to um, deliver it. Right? It, it's about deliverables. And this is something we've had since day one, since our first business, right? I was never really a fan of, you know, sit at your desk for eight hours, whether you've got work to do or not, right? I, I remember in my first corporate job, everyone would be sat at the desk until the manager left to go home, right? And there was almost this competition yeah. to stay as long as you can, right? And, and, you know, I'm sure many people listening have been, been there. And I'd, again, because I didn't like that and agree with it, when I was building my first business and, and beyond, I was very clear, that's not the culture I wanted to um, yeah. create. So I was always against this idea of hour tracking, et cetera, which meant you need a way of holding people accountable. So we've always been deliverables first, right? We mutually agree on what needs to be done, right? Um, and once we've done that, now there's a, we know where we're going, right? We, we know what done looks like. And this is where it's, it's a really good um, principle from Agile Methodology. It's a definition of done, which I've seen um, across other teams and businesses. Sometimes this is where they lack clarity, right? Is the manager thinks, got an idea of what done is, but they've assumed a lot of things. And then the person in the team um, has a different interpretation of done with assumptions baked in. And so they're working on, on, on different paths. And, and what you need to be very clear on is we both have the same definition of done, right? We both have the same definition of what good looks like. Um, and then I hold you accountable to, to get there, right? Um, and going back to what you said, Paul, I completely agree around having a customer-centric metric. And that's why every single team at How Now 
And a part of their performance bone comes from a customer-related metric, everything, right? There's no team that's not impacting the customer, right? Whether you're an engineer, um, you know, sometimes I've only seen this done with customer-facing teams, right? People think, oh, it's only sales and customer success who are impacting the customer. Not true, right? Every single person working at the organization is doing it to deliver an incredible customer experience, right? And and if they're not, then what are they doing, right? Um, we're, we're not aligned in telling the story that we're trying to tell. And so, yeah, definitely agree on that metric being there. Um, but when you have that customer metric, what's really important is going back to what I mentioned earlier around how is your role connected back to the story? I'll give you an example. Um, so our product managers are financially incentivized on win rate and customer retention. It doesn't happen that often, right? Sometimes it's based on product delivery, um, all of those kind of things. Uh, maybe product MPS is the closest you might get to. Um, but actually, we have a very commercial metric. Right. And so in the early days, the conversation is, well, I can't influence this metric. Right. What if the salesperson is not winning a deal? And so we got them the closed loss data. Yeah. Okay. Why are we losing deals? Let's see. How often does it come up about product mentions, et cetera? And you realize everyone is playing a part. So it's making them understand what we should be doing as a product team is to understand, okay, what are our customers saying? What are our prospects saying? You know, what are they saying about the product? Why is it not solving their problem? Let's take that data. That's what we should be doing in product. So it's helping them understand, you know, by doing that, um, that part better, we win more deals. When we win more deals, what that means is we're helping more organizations build the skills they need uh, to be successful at what they do. Right. And our mission at How Now is to make meaningful learning a part of everyday work. And we need to take this feedback to improve our product so we can do that mission better for organizations. And so that's why I do believe every team should have a customer centric metric. Making meaningful learning a part of everyday work. I mean, if you are a leader and a manager and you forget that your job is people and that people need to learn in order to thrive, things that don't change die very quickly. If your plant isn't growing, it's going to wither. So making meaningful learning a part of everyday work, I think, is, is a fairly good mantra for any leader or any manager to actually have tattooed in the inside of their nostrils. Talk to me about that. <laughs> what is it that How Now does to make meaningful learning? Right? Give us the commercial here. But no, but well, yeah, that's your pattern. <laughs> it's a great, yeah, company, it's a great company there. So go, tell, tell us about it. It's valuable. I, I think it's to think about what, what is our biggest challenge right now. I, I shouldn't really have to convince anyone that um, as it stands now, um, you really need to think about are your people building the skills they need? I mean, there's an incredible statistic that came out that said in the US right now, there are six open roles for every qualified person who can do that job. So our biggest problem as, as someone who's running a business isn't our robots are going to take our jobs. Our biggest problem is we don't have enough humans who are qualified to do the jobs that we need, right? And so it's going to be very expensive and very competitive to buy talent externally. Um, and internally, we have a problem because if you're not supporting people's growth, they're leaving, right? And, and they can leave because there's so much job opportunity in the market. And so what they'll do is they'll keep walking until they find the company that's going to support them in their growth. So what you need to be able to do is support your employees grow. Now, let's work backwards. For employees to be able to grow, they need the skills to be able to perform better and grow in their career. Now, for them to build those skills, they need to engage in learning. 
Now, if in your organization, people say, oh, learning feels like an unwanted interruption. You know, why are you bothering me to do that? That means they don't find the learning relevant and they're not able to access the things they need at that moment of need, right? And and this is what we call the engagement gap. People are not engaging, right? They're, they're not engaging with what you're offering from an LND perspective. And if they're not engaging, they're not building the skills they need. If they're not building the skills they need, they're not progressing their career, they're going to leave. So how do we close this engagement gap? Because that's where it all starts. And that's no, where don't offer, trash. don't offer them trash. Don't offer them trash. I mean, how much? Oh, say, absolutely. Yeah, my, my wife has started working about six months ago with a bank, and she was given 20 hours of compliance training to do. 20. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. the company here, click next for the next 20 hours. Holy guacamole. So engagement. And I think if you're, not if you're an LD team, if you're an LD team doing that, you're going to very quickly find out that you're not going to get any buying. Right? Your budget's going to be cut. Like compliance, uh, you know, they'll very quickly realize companies, which they are. If it's compliance that I'm interested in, and that's what the business, the C-suite are interested in, then they'll just buy some compliance suite. They don't need an LMD person to administer compliance content. Just get a library, push it out to people, and you've got the audit trail, right? But when the C-suite are asking you, do we have the skills to get work done? That's right? If we're losing our best talent. That's a commercial question. If we're question. losing our best talent. Yeah, absolutely. If we're losing our best talent and we can't hire because it's so competitive and expensive, businesses are going to get to a point where, forget innovating, they're going to struggle to have the skills to simply meet customer demands and, and get work done. And so to close that engagement gap, there are probably two things. That, that, that the current kind of learning technology stack is failing now. And those two things is, is the learning super relevant? And is it easily accessible at that moment of need? Yeah, the two things. If you're able to solve that, I would be able to bring in relevant learning into the flow of work at the moment of need. When this person needs to know something, they're able to find the most relevant learning knowledge expert who's going to help them build and um, you know, learn that thing, apply that skill to sit, get feedback, improve at their job. Now that's where most LD teams are, are failing. You know, a lot of this stuff is irrelevant and um, and also it's super difficult to access. So what we do at How Now is we're laser focused on super relevant learning delivered at the moment of need. Um, and what that does is it engages people, right? Uh, they engage. And what it does is when they engage, it creates a positive feedback loop. Uh, to give you an example of how that positive feedback loop works, imagine, why do we go to Google? We go to Google when we have something to search, right? We, we need to know something. So I go to Google, I search for something, I find something that's relevant. I'm more likely to engage with it because I, it was in my moment of need. I'm more likely to apply it. And when I apply it, it creates a positive feedback loop. And that positive feedback loop keeps me coming back to Google. Because I'm like, well, the last time I went to Google, it was great. I got something, I, I engaged with it, I applied it. That doesn't exist in workplace learning as much, right? It, it, there is no positive feedback loop because it's often pushed at an irrelevant time, irrelevant, but we're basically pushing wrong content to the wrong person at the wrong time um, for the wrong reason. And, and therefore, people are not going to engage. And so that's what we do at Hanout. We help you bring relevant learning into the flow of work. How we do that is by understanding what skills does each individual need, right? So we use, uh, unsurprisingly, for the last uh, five years, we've been using AI to understand using external job market data and using internal talent data to automatically map every individual against the skills they should have, then to measure to what level of proficiency they have those skills. And then we bring together your entire learning ecosystem. And that's a really important thing. Let me ask you, Paul, when was the last time you learned something that had a big impact on your performance in Korea? Um, 
probably about three or four months ago, and I completed an interesting course. Uh, it was on some stuff. It was financial management, and I was doing a piece for a board. And I didn't know what I was doing, so I went, mm, excuse me, I'm going to go off and do this. I went off and did a research. So, right. And, and why did you go do that course? What, what brought you to that course? It was I understood that there was something I didn't understand. That was the thing. There was a yeah. known unknown there. That was the difference. I actually knew there was an unknown. It wasn't an unknown unknown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so when you, I ask this question to a range of different people, what that resource was changing, right? For you, it was a course that you seeked mm-hmm. out and you wanted more structured learning. For someone else, it could be this podcast, right? They, they listened to Paul's podcast and, and actually it really clicked and it helped them as a first-time manager. It could be a book. It could be a conversation with a colleague. Um, and the reality is there's such a diverse learning ecosystem um, for how we learn based on that moment of need. Yet in most organizations, we're pushing out an LMS with e-learning school courses or classroom training and saying, this is the way we're going to try to meet every need we have in the organization. So what we do at Hanau is bring that ecosystem together. We map it to your skills gaps that we've identified and we deliver it within the apps and systems and tools that you're already using. Because the reality is most of us don't spend 90% of our time inside of an LMS. We spend our time inside our inbox, our CRM, our help desk, you know, uh, on Google, in our inbox. Um, and what we use is we use that skills data and contextual data to recommend relevant learning and help businesses connect people with relevant learning in those moments of need. You get five times more engagement than you get with a traditional LMS. And because of that engagement, people are building the skills they need to, they need to build. And the C-suite are happy because they can actually track, oh, these are the skills that we're building. That's really useful, mm. right? We really wanted to improve React as a skill. I can see in the last six months, we've gone from an average proficiency level of two out of five to four out of five. L&D are doing a good job. I mean, if you think about it from a point of view of the, your, your, any organization, they are trying to reduce risk, reduce costs, or increase revenue. That's the three things that any organization does. From the individuals, the people point of view, you're trying to recruit, you're trying to retain, and you're trying to develop those people, okay? And putting those two together, um, you're then looking at, from a, a skills point of view, of understanding what are the skills I need, what are the skills I've got, and then how do I fill, fit the gap? How do I fill that gap? So that is like a, a tripartite nine-box grid or something like that. I'm sure somebody could map that yeah. more cleverly than me. And if I can see that somebody's ticking all those boxes in three-dimensional chess, as we've talked about, then we're on a road to growth. For, for sure. I, I think this is where, right now, the kind of traditional approach to L&D is very content-led. Right? It, it, it's very kind of, the question we're asking ourselves is, what content do people need and how do I get them that content? Not just L&D, people manage right? So you know, how many times have, have you met a manager? Yeah, yeah, exactly. How many times have you met a manager who's, who's like, you know, what content I do do I need for this? And, and how do I get this content to them? You know, is it a course or is it a training? It's the wrong question, right? The language the business understands is skills. It's a common language that we all within business understand. The employee understands skills. They understand, I don't have this skill, I need this skill. And um, you know, the people manager understands, I don't have this skill in my team. The business, the C-suite understands that 
ah, these are the skills that we need to be able to move in this direction. It's a common language. Content is, right? CC doesn't care, you know, how many courses you've been to. They don't care whether you sat there for 40 hours doing this. What they want to know is, did you build the skills the business needed? So we need to change our language and we need to move towards a more of a, a skills first approach. What that means is it changes your fundamental question. The question you're asking is, what skills does this person need? And how am I going to help them build those skills? That's a very different question, mm. right? It's a very different question with an outcome very much aligned to what the business wants. I, and so it is a change in mindset more than anything, right? I shouldn't really be saying this as a founder, as a, as a software business, but, you know, the software is there to help you exit, right? Can you change your mindset? Yeah, it's an enabler. You know, can you change your mindset and start hacking together solutions to go in the right direction? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. It would take a lot of admin and it would take a lot of people and, and a lot of inefficiencies, uh, but it doesn't mean you can't start pivoting and moving in the right direction and then bring in the right technology to help you enable and reduce the friction and take out the inefficiencies. But this is a mindset change. We need to change the question we're asking. To get to the right answer, we need to ask the right question. And right now we're asking the wrong question. And the L&D response, is, I think, is typically, yes, of course, I'll go off and find you that course content thing, whatever it is. And I think their first answer should always be why. So some, some, some person comes to you and says, oh, I need a, I need, I need a course on this. Because that's what they think. They, 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 you automatically, it's like marketing. You skip to the, I need a TikTok video pushed out on this. And of course, any good marketing yeah. say, oh, yes, TikTok, well, whatever the channel is. You, got to the, you go to the result there, the, the thing you do, without going into the diagnostic. And you, you talk yeah. to uh, yeah. good uh, practitioners in, in learning and organizational development, skills development. And their first questions are, why? Why? What is the impact? Yeah. Why? What have you tried? What hasn't worked? Yeah, they become consultative, yeah. and only then, but after the whys, do they get to the right. Well, maybe a course isn't the right answer. Is the right answer? Maybe a maybe a maybe a, yeah. a PDF or a um, you know an all hands or a, an email. We could send them an email. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, yeah. It, this is I've got an entire chapter in my book, Paul, um, in learning at speed, speed which published is by Cogan Page, available on Amazon. <laughs> Link in the description. Uh, which is dedicated to problem discovery, right? And and it, it's about, it, and this is where, in a way, L&D people, I, I find a lot of commonalities between L&D and founders or anyone who builds product, right? Because in essence, you know, L&D are building a product that's hired to get a job done, right? And the job to, to be done in this case is to build the skills that I need as an individual or the business needs. That's a job to be done that they're hiring this product for. And that product happens to be a, a learning experience. And like you said, it could be anything all the way from an email to a coaching session, to a course, to a book. Uh, and that's the product I'm hiring to, to get this done. And so it requires that kind of product mindset. Like, you know, the, the kind of 101 in being a founder and building a product is, um, you know, you, you spend six months in a room building a product without never talking to a customer is like the one-on-one rookie mistake that you never do. And, and that's essentially what I see L&D managers and L&D teams doing. It's, it's, you know, sitting in a, in a vacuum building, um, building content and hoping oh, that quote unquote fun, yeah, fun and interactive content is going to solve the problem. Um, versus actually, if you spend more time up front doing that discovery to really understand you, that, problem the pain what's the obstacle you know what's stopping you from doing that t today um and asking those right questions to, to form that hypothesis uh, around what the problem is so really love the problem not the solution and i have my theory for why this happened right it's because right now we have a 
very output centric mindset and, and that output mindset is almost to prove value when like, what if my boss asks me what the hell have you been doing for the last six months if i turn around and said well i've been talking to people in the business to understand the problem they don't think that's value enough and so they think more value to say i've built around 50 courses right i've been working hard look at this i've got tangible output but we need a collective mindset shift to go actually it's outcome over output Right? I don't care how many courses you created. I want to know, did you close this skills gap that we said was one of the biggest obstacles for us to achieve our uh, Q3 uh, OKR? You know, have you helped me do that? And if the business was willing to accept that it's going to take a lot of experimenting, trial and error to see what works, what doesn't work to get to that outcome. And I'm, I'm not going to judge you in the same way I said, I don't judge you based on how many hours you sat on your ass at a desk. I, I judge you based on whether you gave me the deliverable. Did we achieve the outcome or not? So I think that outcome over output, it's not just an LD thing. I think it's an important thing for any leader or manager is, you know, what you hire people for is to get to the outcome, not for the output. And I think from a management point of view, managing, managing activity is much more sensible because the output itself is the result and if you try and manage the result uh, it's, it's quite a, it's, if you think of a sales person you're going to try and manage the number go and sell more well, you can't do that you're going to break it down you're going to manage that output and therefore because you're trying to manage the you're going to manage towards the output you're trying to manage the activity because that's the tangible piece that's where you just put all your focus and you forget that the objective is to get deliver the output yeah, I mean, the sales is a great example, right? Like you, you set a, I don't know, make, you have to make 60 calls a day, right? Um, and you set that as a number in, in some cases, that's what you're making performance on. Um, okay, those, those, you know, new op- incentives drive behavior, right? And you optimize for whatever the incentive is, right? And so We're if, humans, the, what we do. Um, if, if, if the incentive is, you know, you, it, a great example is actually something like, your Fitbit, you know, anyone who's sleep tracking or, or step count. You know, how many people now are conscious of the fact that have I done my 10,000 steps? Right? Why? Is when you measure something, right, That that's the incentive that drives your behavior. I want to get more steps and I'm out. So if you're measuring the wrong thing, you're motivated by the wrong thing. So if, if it's 60 calls a day, but it's not translating into qualified demos or it's not translating into, into customers, then it doesn't really matter. In the same way where we've worked with businesses previously who set a target of 40 hours of learning every month. I've never worked with a business where every employee was so conscious of whether they hit their 40 hours or not. We would have people uh, on our um, intercom support going, can you please tell me how many hours I'm at? Like, you know, has this updated? Can you give me an export? And, and so, yeah, it was driving the behavior of they wanted to hit 40 hours. They didn't care whether they learned anything relevant. Did it help them build the skills they need? Um, the wrong incentive drives the wrong mm. behavior. And that's why it's important for your incentive to be aligned to the outcome. Because fundamentally, that's what we want. It goes back to your, your telescope and your North Star and your customer-centric or whatever it is your metric is. Nelson, is there something in your vast and varied career, going all the way back to when you were just a little Nelson, what would you like to thank younger Nelson for doing? <laughs> so I'd, I'd say that I'm not, I'm not super smart. I'm not super athletic, um, and and nor was the, the little Nelson um, either of those things. But one of the things that I, I always kind of lean on is the curiosity. Right? It's, there, there's never been a time where if I didn't know something, I didn't think I could figure it out. Um, it, it's like, well, 
it's always a comparison of, yeah, I didn't know it. I wasn't gifted. You know, I didn't know it from the get-go. Maybe it took me a bit longer to figure out, but there's always this kind of interest, curiosity um, to be able to go, how does that work? Let's figure that figure that out. Like, you know, I didn't have anyone in my family who'd start a business, raise venture money. And at the time where we started, London didn't even really have a start. You know, this is pre-Google campus days. Um, and so you didn't even have many people you can go and ask to. It's all kind of, you know, what you Google, what you find, books you read, all of that kind of stuff. But even then, what feels like a massive mountain of lots of unknown, there was, I think that there was, I was delusional enough not to be fearful. And to really go, curious, let's figure this out. And there's a lot of unknown, but I'm gonna figure it out. And um, and that combination of curiosity and delusion, um, in the right dosage, is 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 what I kind of thank Little Nelson for. And until this day, that I hold very dearly, is is the combination of those two things is is what's kind of moved this forward. I would say, if I can reframe your delusion into optimum, <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. So it's not. It's not uh, I often say yeah. it's, a, it's a weird. As a founder, you're con- constantly at. Uh, you're like a walking contradiction because you're like the eternal optimist who's constantly paranoid. Yeah. Um, I love and, it. Uh, paranoid and, optimist. And yeah, it, <laughs> <laughs> paranoid if they're not actually out to get. <laughs> Marvelous. Lastly, as we wrap up, how can people find you? Um, find me in all the usual places. You can find me at Nelson Sivalingham on, on LinkedIn. Probably the place I'm most present. Um, but but also you can find me on on Twitter. Um, oh, sorry, X rather. I ah. can correct myself. Um, you can find me on X at that Nelson dude. Don't really tweet much, um, but you can still find me there. Um, and you know, if you do want to reach out, feel free to reach out. I'm Nelson at gethownow.com. Nelson Sivangam, CEO of How Now, author of Learning at Speed, filmmaker podcast host and street food cook extraordinaire. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework is to leave your five-star review and please, any comments you have, you really help me to improve every day. And it also helps people to discover me online. You should check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working.